Our scripture reading this morning is found in the little book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. So listen to God's holy, true, and life-giving word. The Apostle Paul writes this, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners." of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we call this a prayer for illumination because we do need the Holy Spirit to come and turn on the lights in our hearts, to illumine our minds, Lord, to give us understanding of your word. And so come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place and fill us as we think together about this passage of Scripture that you have given to us today for many different reasons. We bow before your word, we bow before you, and ask that as we study it together, we might see Jesus more clearly and go out to proclaim him with greater clarity to this culture. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It is really, really good to be back. And what a beautiful day we have, right? Oh, it's just gorgeous today. Well... You have heard, if you've been paying attention all morning, a lot about the mercy of God in this worship service. We're going to talk today about God's mercy. And uh, I want to begin by just pointing out, if you don't know it already, that in this presidential election, in this campaign that we have been witnessing all year, if there's anything we have learned... I think it is the human capacity for meanness and vitriol. I can't wait for this election to be over. I do watch a lot of news. I am something of a political junkie. But sometimes, honestly, as I watch and listen to what's going on, I feel like we are watching a bunch of fifth graders fighting on a playground. But it's throughout our culture. It's rampant. I was sitting at a red light the other day in Orlando. There are a lot of those in Orlando, and some of them are very long. And so as I was sitting at the red light, my yeah, I was daydreaming. I was looking around. I was perhaps listening to the music that I had playing on my radio or something like that. And unbeknownst to me, the light turned green. And I just sat there. And behind me, the guy went, It wasn't just a little beep, beep. 
It was the same kind of meanness that we see on TV news. I'm glad that God doesn't operate that way with his family. I'm glad that there is this attribute of God that we're going to talk about today called mercy. Because it has made such a big difference in my life and I know yours as well. So today I want to look in this passage of scripture at the mercy of God. And we're going to look at it in two particular ways. First of all, I want to show you that mercy is God's delight. And then we're going to look at mercy being our duty. God's delight, our duty. So let's dive right in. I think you see in this passage that we just read from 1 Timothy that mercy is God's delight. He loves to be merciful to people. People who don't deserve it. People who have lost their way. People who have fallen. God loves and delights to show them mercy. In Exodus chapter 33, you might remember that Moses had a significant meeting with God. He said to the Lord, show me your glory, Lord. If there's one thing I want to see, it is your glory. And God spoke to Moses. He said, nobody may see me and live. But Moses, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will make all of my goodness pass in front of you, Moses. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord. And then what did he say that his name is? He said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Isn't that interesting that when God had the opportunity to display His glory and to speak to Moses about His goodness, He mentions grace and mercy. Mercy is one of the main features of God's glory. I love many things. One of the things I love to do is go to movies. I love music. I love playing my guitar. I love church. I love being a pastor. I have a long list of loves. You know what one of God's loves is? Showing mercy. In Micah chapter 7 verse 18, God says about Himself through the prophet, You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Well, I want to make four brief observations about the mercy of God from this passage. First of all, notice the meaning of God's mercy. What is it anyway that we're talking about? Well, let's begin by saying what mercy is not. Because there are many disguises or counterfeits for mercy. And that's not what we want to say about God. So what is mercy not? Well, mercy is not being weak. Mercy is not being passive or compliant or soft on sin and soft on injustice. Just because someone is nice doesn't make him or her merciful. Rolling over and playing dead is not the same as being merciful. About the Apostle Paul, one thing we can say is that he was not a weak, passive man. And yet he knew how to display mercy. Earlier in this very chapter, in fact, you could look up in verses 3 and 4 and see that Paul was not soft on sin. He called out people. He called out false teachers. So that's not what mercy is. But what is it? 
Mercy is making an assertive decision to let someone off the hook. It's making an assertive decision to let someone off the hook. It means cutting someone some slack. It means compassion or showing pity or warm affection or tender loves towards someone in need. In Matthew 18, you have a perfect story, an illustration about mercy. In Matthew 18, Jesus is telling a story about a king who wanted to settle accounts with one of his servants. This servant owed him a lot of money, 10,000 talents of gold. You know how much that is? That is millions upon millions of dollars. One talent was worth 20 years wages for a laborer. So do the math. The king demanded that this servant of his pay back that enormous debt. And he knew how big it was. He said to himself, I can't possibly pay that debt. But the king ordered that the servant and his wife be sold as slaves if if he didn't pay back that debt. Well, he fell on his knees before this king and he said, please be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And in Matthew 18, Jesus in this story says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's mercy. Letting somebody go when obviously they have failed, obviously they are in need. Maybe it would help to contrast mercy with grace and justice. What's justice? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. For example, suppose you're pulled over for speeding. I know nobody here would ever do such a thing. But you get pulled over for speeding and the police officer steps up to your window and he gives you justice. What is that? He gives you a ticket. He gives you what you deserve. But suppose he wants to give you mercy... I always love it when they say, uh, I'm just going to give you a warning this time. That's mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace would be if he said, let's go grab dinner at Sonny's Barbecue. My treat. That's getting what you don't deserve. But mercy is not getting what you deserve. But see, there can be no grace without there first being Mercy, and there can be no mercy without an understanding of justice. My son Michael, he's now 27, but when he, not long after he got his driver's license, had an accident in my car. Now, I love spotless cars. I keep my car spotless. And you can just imagine how justice cried out for vengeance when Michael brought me outside and said, Dad, I I had a fender bender. Look at your car. Yeah, I wanted to say something like, uh, you're going to pay me your allowance for the next 37 years. But I didn't do that. I gave him mercy. And then I actually did give him grace. I said, let's go grab a burger at McDonald's. Because he felt horrible about the whole situation. I want you to know something today that God loves letting people off the hook. Maybe you. He is, according to Exodus 34, verse 6, 
the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Which leads me to my second observation from this passage. Not only the meaning of mercy, but our need of mercy is so very clear. Earlier in this chapter, uh, verses 9 and 10 to be exact, Paul had talked about some really bad people, people you and I would consider to be really bad. He calls them the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, and so on and so forth. Well, in verse 13 of our text, Paul says, I was one of them. I was one of those bad people. I was once a blasphemer. I was once a persecutor and an insolent opponent. Another phrase of that is a violent man. Paul is recounting the fact that he himself had been a horrible sinner in his history. He said, I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Isn't this great about our God? He's not angry at the sort of people that make us angry. He associates with people that you and I wouldn't normally want to associate with. That's part of His mercy. He delights in showing that to people. Here's a question for you. Look at verse 13 where Paul says, Though formerly I was a a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. What if you were to rewrite that verse talking about yourself? What would you put in that blank? Even though I was once, what? A compulsive liar? Even though I once had committed adultery? Even though I once harbored hateful thoughts toward other people? Even though I once had been a drug dealer? Even though I've had an abortion? Even though I have been bitter and judgmental, you name it, what would you say about yourself? Can you then finish the sentence by saying, but I, like Paul, was shown mercy. It's humbling for me to even stand up here and preach the Bible Because I know what I once was. And I still go back to those places sometimes. I still am unfaithful to the Lord many times. But I was shown mercy. And so were you. Mm. Friend, every one of us is like that servant that I was talking about earlier that owed that enormous debt, that impossible debt. We owe a a debt to God that we could never repay. The wages of sin is what? Death. Yeah. We have nothing with which to pay God back for our sins. We need mercy, just like Paul. Well, third, not only the meaning of mercy and the need that we have, but the source. Where does this come from, this mercy of God that we're talking about? Where does it originate? Well, it's nothing in you and it's nothing in me. It's entirely of God. Look at verse 13 again. Notice the second half of verse 13 says, But I received mercy. That is the important word of this 
text, I received mercy. And he says that again in verse 16, but I received mercy. And in verse 14, he says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. Now, in another version, it reads this way, grace was poured out upon me. Poured out. See, God is the one who does the pouring. We are the, if I could invent a word, pouri. We're the sponge. He's the water of mercy. We just receive it. We don't achieve it. I used to think we do. If you had asked me back when I was in my early 20s, how does one get to heaven? I would have said, by being good. If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, surely that is the way to get to heaven. But that's a religion based on works, not grace. Grace comes to those who know they cannot save themselves and must thrust themselves entirely upon the grace and mercy of God. Well, fourth and finally, notice the ground of God's mercy. Uh, The meaning, the need, the source, the ground of God's mercy. In other words, what is it based on? Well, I think it's in verse 15. Notice Paul says in verse 15, "...the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners." of whom I am the foremost. There's the ground of mercy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Back in high school, I was a football player, and I was average. But uh, I did play first string, and on one particular occasion, we had come to the third quarter, and I was just flat. I was finished. I had nothing more to give. And I did something I still can't believe that I did. While coach was not looking, I came over on the sidelines while the offense was out there. I came over to my number two guy, my backup man. His name was Ricky Sprouse. I'll never forget it. And I said, hey, Ricky, I'm dead tired. I can't go back in when we're on defense. Would you go in for me? And in order to get away with this, I came up with a clever plan. I would take off my jersey and he'd take off his and we'd switch jerseys. And we had the, our names on the back of our jerseys. So now he was Osborne and I was Sprouse. And this would work. You know, that's what I thought. And so when it came our time for defense, Ricky Sprouse went in and wouldn't you know it, played linebacker, caught an interception. And on the loudspeaker came the announcement, Osborne with the interception. See, I got the credit, and Ricky Sprouse did the work. Now, if you ever get a chance to play football in high school again, don't do what I tried to do. But it's a wonderful illustration of what Zach uh, was talking about earlier today, justification. Because on the cross, a great exchange took place similar to the exchange that I did on the sidelines that day. Jesus Christ went to the cross for His people to take their sin upon Himself and to give us His righteousness so that He did the work and you and I get the credit. He got your sin and gave you His forgiveness. He got your guilt 
and gave you his righteousness. He got your death and gave you his life. He got your punishment and gave you his reward. He got your hell and gave you his heaven. You didn't get what you deserved because Jesus got what he didn't deserve. Namely, the wrath of the Father that should have come to us. See, the ground of God's mercy is the cross. You've got to realize God doesn't forgive people because He's a nice God. That's such a prevalent concept in our world today. God is just such a nice God. He's just a loving God. No, that's not why God gives mercy to people. He doesn't forgive people because He's nice. Mercy is not niceness. I said that earlier. The cross is not nice. Mercy happens because God punished Jesus instead of you. He absorbed in Himself the punishment we deserved, and He gave us mercy. Christ Jesus came into the world to die in your place. And because He did that, because He did that, God cuts you some slack. God lets you off the hook. He takes pity on you, like it said about that king in Matthew 18. He takes pity on you, cancels your debt, and lets you go. That's the gospel. Okay, so what have we learned so far? We've learned that mercy is God's delight. It's His specialty. And if you're a Christian this morning, you have received it. You've received His mercy. He hasn't voted you off the island. You know, He has not criticized or condemned you. Instead, you've received His compassion. He condemned His Son Jesus instead of you. You've received His warm affection and His acceptance. And you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He gave it to you and you simply received it by grace through faith. And you're not going to lose it because it's grounded firmly in the cross of Christ. So what? So what? What do we do with God's mercy? Well, that's the second thing we want to learn from this passage. Not only is mercy God's delight, it's also our duty You and I have a calling, and that calling is to give mercy to people. We who have received it are called to give it to others. Notice verse 16, if you will. In verse 16, there are two words I'd like you to to underline or note. Verse 16, the word is, well, let me read the whole verse. But I receive mercy, he says, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might, what's the word? Display. His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Those two words remind us that we have a duty now to do something with the mercy we've gotten. And that duty is to daily be an illustration of the mercy of God. Even in the little things that happen in our lives. My favorite sub... Is it Publix? Public subs, you ever had one of those? Good subs. So in the, other, the other day I was in the line at the Publix deli to get a sub. And I was standing there, and when I wasn't looking, a woman jumped in front of me. And I so wanted to display justice at that moment. But I had to learn, no, wait a second. I am to display mercy. So I did. 
I didn't say anything to her. It took everything in me not to do that. But I gave her mercy. Paul tells us about three different ways in this passage that we can display the mercy of God to people. Three ways. First, by being grateful. By being grateful. He starts off this text in verse 12 by saying, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful. I thank you, Lord. Being grateful is a great way to show mercy. I once served a church up in St. Louis, Missouri, and we had a a custodian on our staff. His name was George, and I'll never forget George. Because any time you came up to George and said, How are you doing today, George? He just gave a one-word answer. Thankful. How are you doing today? Thankful. Could that be said of you? Of me? That our constant attitude is one of gratitude? We can be so unmerciful toward people, can't we not? Can we not? The woman at the cash register, the person in front of us at the traffic light who doesn't obey immediately when the light turns green, our children who won't hurry up so we can get to church on time. Kids, what about you? Are you grateful for your mom and dad? And do you let them know or do you complain about them? Students, are you grateful for your teachers? And do you say how thankful you are for them? Those of you who have jobs, do you complain about having to go to work? Do you complain about your employers? Those of you who are married, are you thankful for the wife that God gave you, the husband that God provided you? And those of you who are single, are you thankful for your singleness, for the opportunities you have to serve others? We can display mercy by being grateful. Second way, by being humble, humble. Paul's humility really shows out in this passage, doesn't it? Look in verse 15. He says in verse 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Or you may know it from another translation, of whom I'm the worst. Paul is being honest here. He really believes he's the worst sinner around. You remember Gerald Ford? Some of you were around back in the day when Gerald Ford stepped into the presidency somewhat unexpectedly. Remember what he did? Many people still have not forgiven him for pardoning Richard Nixon for his crimes committed during the Watergate scandal. Many of us want to still say, wait a minute, you know, that wasn't right. That guy was a crook. He should have been thrown in jail, something like that. But Gerald Ford pardoned him. Well, maybe it's true. Maybe he shouldn't have. But what if God treated you the way that you would have treated Richard Nixon? What would that have looked like? You wouldn't be sitting here right now, I can assure you. You know, it's sad how quick we are to give mercy to ourselves and not give it and extend it to other people especially those who hurt us or offend us. Think for a second of somebody who has hurt you lately. Would you do that for me? Just think about a person who has said something unkind, failed you in some way, been unfaithful to you in some way. Wouldn't you like that person? Just think, be honest. Wouldn't you like that person even for a few seconds, maybe a day, 
to feel the pain that he or she should get for that offense? No, Paul shows us the antidote to that type of thinking. It's to be thinking first of how bad you are. And if you will see yourself as the worst sinner, then you probably will not go around pointing your finger at other sinners. I find it really interesting about the Apostle Paul that he would say this. I mean, we admire Paul. We think he is the world's greatest theologian and apostle. But no, he says, I am the foremost sinner. And he means it too. But if you track Paul's progress in his relationship with God, you'll notice that he goes from here to there to there in his writings. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, one of Paul's earlier letters, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. So he's just comparing himself to, you know, 12, 15 people maybe. And he says, I'm the least of those guys. And then in Ephesians 3, 8, written a little bit later than that, Paul says, I am less than the least of all God's people. So Paul is getting worse, right? But look at what he says here, which is written late in Paul's life. I am the foremost sinner. I should get an Oscar for sinning, he says. That's kind of backwards from how we think about Christian maturity, isn't it? We usually think the longer we walk with God, the better we know our Bible, the more we understand about theology, we would feel better about ourselves. We are stronger Christians, better Christians. But the truth is, the longer we walk with God, the more we see the heinousness of our own sin, or should. If you don't, there's something wrong in your walk with God. Because the better you know Him, the more you see your own faults and flaws. It's sort of like stepping into the light. The, more, the brighter the light, the more obvious the flaws, right? Seeing your flaws, seeing the depth of your sin will make you humble. And when you're humble, you'll give mercy to others. And then the third way, besides being grateful and humble, is by being patient. That's a great way. Being patient with people is a great way to be merciful. Notice verse 16, again, where the phrase perfect patience is given. God displays His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I have a grandson named Eben, Eben, E-B-E-N. It's it's, uh, short for Ebenezer. And there's something pretty special about Eben. I don't want to go into super detail, but Eben is 12 years old, but he was the result of an abdominal pregnancy. Now, those of you who know a little bit about that know that the incidence of abdominal pregnancies is extremely rare. One in 10,000 live births would be an abdominal pregnancy. And 20 to 40% of those babies who survive are malformed. And only a half of them survive for longer than a week. Many of the mothers who carry an abdominal pregnancy die due to the massive hemorrhaging. And my daughter did, in fact, uh, hemorrhage quite a lot, but she is alive and well, fortunately. But you can tell this little young man is quite special to us. So when I'm around Eben, 
I try to be very patient. Eben has some, shall we say, idiosyncrasies that kind of drive people nuts. But I know what a special kid he is. And because he's special, I can be patient with Eben. You, if you're a believer in Jesus, are very special to God. And you know what? God is very patient with you. More than you realize. And He calls you to be patient with others. You remember that story of the servant I told you in Matthew 18? I only told you the first half where the king lets the servant go. You know how that story ends? That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants that owed him just a little bit of pocket change, a hundred denarii. He grabbed him by the neck, threw him up against the wall, and started choking him and said, pay back what you owe me. And that servant said to him the same thing he had said to the king. Be patient with me and I'll pay back what you owe me, what what I owe you. But the servant had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the king came and found out about that, he called that servant in and he said to him, You wicked servant, I canceled that debt of yours. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? What is the word of God saying to you and me this morning? Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow sinners just as God has had mercy on you? Shouldn't Christ the King Presbyterian Church be a church that specializes in mercy? Oh my, what if this community knew Christ the King is a place where I can go and find mercy, the mercy of God? Oh, how transforming that would be to you guys and to this community. We who have received the mercy of God are to give it to others. It brings God great delight. May we delight in it too. Let's pray.